0: Should we just roll with it. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hornet Hacker. Um, today I am your host, Ryan Data Hater. Today we've got uh, Mike Monique from DroneSec. So, good day, Mike.
1: Good day, everyone. Good to be here.
0: Um, we're just going to run pretty much the same as normal. Um, I'm not going to go through any news because, well, we just got to hope this uh, thing works. Uh, yeah. So let's just, let's keep... hey, Mike. So why don't you tell us about a little bit about who you are and uh, what got you into security and uh, a little bit about DroneSec? What Actually, let's just start with you. Tell us about you, Mike.
1: <laughs> nice. Yeah, okay, so um, I work and live down here in Melbourne, Australia. Um, I've been a security professional, or at least in the InfoSec scene, for um, almost my whole life. Um, and that, that doesn't mean from a baby, it's just uh, when you start picking things up, um, you go with it. Look, I've dabbled in everything from um, pen testing to red teaming, uh, the physical intrusion side, and then kind of uh, made a segue into drones. Um, that drones element has been since around 2016, um, and from about 2019, we really took down the business avenue um, and started taking a, a more serious look at it in the global side of things. So, um, I have passions in the the capture the flag and gamification space. So, I'm a big believer in gamification to enable security skills. Um, Oh, wrote a thesis on it back at university, so when I talk about gamification being a big part of my life, it it has. Um, and uh, yeah, other than that, it's just been uh, a bit of a roller coaster through my life of. Um, a mix of open source intelligence leading towards uh drones and cyber physical systems and kind of that interconnection between um cyber security and physical security uh i think that's the biggest part of, of where i've kind of moved into rather than just focusing on the digital side which was um for a long time the norm you so they okay oh i can't hear you man there we can go. can you hear me now yeah gotcha
0: and tell us about that gamification thing what was what was the attraction there what, what got you into the game like the gamification style of things
1: yeah so gamification was pretty important for me because back at um back in university so i, I wasn't a security before i, I started at, at university but going into that i realized a whole lot of that was really theoretical and there was you know hundreds of people back then who wanted to learn um pen testing skills or hands-on um skills and how to actually do the things we're learning about and for a large part of them, just, you know, multiple choice question answer was not the way that you learn security, um, especially when, you know, you'd be learning about things like encryption and, and you know, how encryption saves stuff, but you wouldn't actually learn how to, you know, put it onto a server and allow that server to be more um, safer or, or things like that. So the, the hands-on part was missing. Um, and so you know I found my thrill initially before university through practical hacking and for a lot of the kids that were in my same cohort um, they couldn't do the same you know there was no practical element so we started doing a lot of capture the flag events you know um, everything from the the in-person ones to the online ones Um, Australia has that you know large um, university cohort one that happens every year and that type of thing and you just see kids start to thrive on it right so the moment you put something in their hands that they can see what they're doing in front of them it makes it so much more uh, interesting so we as a we started up a security club and we focused on a you know learning through doing and seeing the changes in front of you and everyone getting good at something particular right so you'd have someone who'd start getting good at forensics you'd have someone who'd start getting uh, good at reverse engineering or web applications that type of thing so there's a few elements to gamification which are awesome. The one is the the ranking system, right? Because they feel like they're, they're they can see their progress in real time. Yeah. Um, the other one is that that kind of comp- that competitive edge, and that's something that I I thrive on. Other people maybe not so much. I know people who hate capture the flags, um, but some people just love the thrill of you know having to be able to compare themselves to a, a leaderboard or ranking. Um, The time pressure is something, again, some people love, some people hate, uh, especially when it comes to OCP, Um, but in a CTF setting, it is a great motivator to learn a lot. And you think you're struggling, you think you're bashing your head against the wall, but you get to the point where you you look at yourself and you're like, over the past 24 hours, I've learned more than in six months of trying to learn this by myself, because it was just... You just keep going, keep going, keep going. You're hitting that resistance. Um, so the time pressure is one. The ranking system is another. Um, and then, again, it was just almost real-life scenarios. Not all CTFs, but a lot of them yeah. do have good scenarios which make it fun, make it interesting, and are based on something that's happened. So, um, Like the CyberCX like
0: as- one. The x one with the bank hacking that. I had so much fun at that. That was like the, probably the most fun Australian one I've done.
1: Nice. Okay. Yeah. There's um. There's a few good Aussie ones. Aussies have a great way of, of entwining the story into it, right? So yeah. Uh, the storytelling is a big one. Um. Yeah. So the the game vacation part after those uh, years at uni, I actually ended up doing an honors degree. Um. Because I I just wasn't ready to step out into the initial graduate positions that there seemed to be in the in the industry at the time, and so I thought, what a a better way to write a thesis on why gamification works for security education and learning and things like that so that's kept close to my heart it's it's never been a part of um you know work or or paid work or anything like that but i've i've had fun making ctfs and playing in them for a very long time um both me and my wife so it's it's a lot of fun it's something we bond over yep
0: so your wife's involved in the security scene as well
2: yeah that's great
1: she's um She's on the, the the blue side, so red yeah. side and blue side it makes a, a good. Couple, oh, what a right? perfect couple! Also hacked together, so together. T- <laughs> so, walk,
2: so
0: walk me through how you got from uh, doing your honours then onto OS- OSINT work. You're saying open source intelligence, and then from that into drone sec How did that progression happen?
1: Yeah, so the OSINT part um, has just been an interesting, kind of sideline. So um, OSINT was something that that was my speciality. I was I was great at um back then during ctfs and, and that type of thing um but for a while you know we we were working on i'm sure you've heard the trace labs uh, missing persons work that was good fun you know that's where you've got to use open source intelligence skills for fi- finding and, and locating missing people um we did pretty well at some of those and, and the whole point was that we brought people in that then could you know sharpen their skills? That's led on an interesting journey of um, either journalists or families of min- missing people contacting us and just being involved in that over and over again, even outside of trace labs and things like that. Um, because you're being able to do good for it, and the the reason why missing people is is pretty important to us. And the reason why maybe you've seen it on our um like drone seekers is, is a great way that I've been able to you know help fund some of those charities and things like that is you know, there's this weird concept of a missing person is not, they're not passed away, right? So you, you don't have the conclusion and they're not found. So it's this like weird limbo middle ground where you don't know what the status of that person is. Um, and so using something like OSIN is one of those left field skills that hackers can use to do good um, and do good by families and, and, and help them know that there's, there's someone working on it out there and, um, so that kind of stuff's to the side. It doesn't lead directly into the, the drone sex side, um, but we we definitely utilize some of those for open source intelligence when it comes to threat intelligence and drones. Um, <clears throat> the way I kind of got into that was, uh, well, I initially started working, did a short stint at um, Defense. I worked at BAE for a little while um, with a, just absolute A-team over there for a little while mm-hmm. um, that was doing pen testing and then moved into Pritosec as well and did security consulting for some time. Um, but it was actually at, at BAE where the, the idea kind of triggered. There was a um, project that was hacking into drones and being able to just see a drone flying around one moment and then being ported to the the, the keyboard, the next section, and seeing the video of the drone on the laptop and then the drone just being completely controlled you know, I was sitting there going, you know, why is this not a more important issue? There's there's drones being used for mobility, delivery, transport. They're going to have all these things in the future um, for, for very good reasons, right? They're cheap, they're effective, uh, they've got huge feature sets, they take people out of dangerous jobs, there's all these good things about them. Uh, and so I'm like, why is no one focusing on these either the, the exploits themselves and the vulnerabilities of the drones or trying to harden them and trying to protect them? Um, and though that was kind of early days, you know, drones were still using wi as, as, um, connectivity and, and wireless, you know, protocols and that kind of thing. So really weak stuff, but still there was, there was commercial drones that were weak and vulnerable. And so I thought that was surprising. Um, so from that point onwards, I started researching the area, um, but it was still, it was nascent for a while. You know, no one wanted to take drone security services for yep. years until, you know, two years ago. Um, and even, even still, it's a tough battle. It's more about educating them what's out there and the threats um, before getting to it. So, look, so, what, the, so
0: what was that dream... tipping point two years ago, the tipping point that, uh, that changed people's minds that got drones, se- like gave drones that edge?
1: yeah okay so we we were trying to show them that we could do services like pen test drones harden your drones you know be able to show you how weak your drones are um and the one thing is that not that many companies were actually using drones in a commercial capacity back then not enough to warrant um security services the the other thing is that you know uh the counter drone industry started rising up and it's really important that you know that you know there's no Cybersecurity of drones without the counter drone industry. So the counter drones are the the systems that will sit there and either take out a drone in the air, um, geofencing, um, RF hacking into the drone and manipulate it to land somewhere or spoof it, um, or you know shoot out of the sky. And the reason why it's so interconnected is because, you know, you've got more and more drones. People want to protect it from entering that perimeter. Uh, and so they use various defense mitigation me- uh, mechanisms to take that drone down. So one of those big tactics is by hacking into the drone um, or providing more power to get the drone to stop midair. Look at the end of the day, it's, it's just a hovering laptop, right? So it's got a Linux yeah. OS. It's got, you know, probably got IP tables sitting in there in the drone. It's got all these same kind of things as a computer, Um so the counter drone industry started rising really quickly in pace. And that also meant that, you know, people looked around, they were like, Wait, we' we we're using drones, even eighty or a hundred thousand dollar drones. There's technologies out there that you can buy for three hundred dollars that can take my drone down in a second. So why are we not worrying about this? That was so, probably the the turning point.
0: So for people who don't know, um could you could you go through the i guess the leg- legalities just even in australia or uh, like territories that you're familiar with with taking down the drone like that the, like the anti-drone stuff is like you can't just shoot it out of the sky like well um, what, what are the what are the difficulties with uh like anti-drone technologies
1: yeah, I mean you can uh, you can shoot out of the sky in some parts of the Middle East, right? It makes it a bit easier, but um, over here in the home base, it is it is really difficult. In fact, you can't even manufacture a counter drone systems over here to a certain extent because they have uh, GPS uh, jammers or things like that. So there's a, a slew of um, legal issues, and again, I'm not a lawyer, but the, the first one is the Cybercrime Act. Right, you can't um, hack into someone else's computer. It's an operating computer that that's the one. The other one is interfering with an, an operating radio, radio communications device, right? So you can't interfere with that um, and, and manipulate its signal. Uh, the next one is the fact that it's still considered an aircraft. So you're actually um, manipulating an aircraft's trajectory or, or control, right? You're, you're making an aircraft lose control and, and fall down. Uh, so there's a slew of stuff that, that'll either land you in prison or a pretty big fine if you do take a drone down. Um, that's because the legislation is so old, but once you have counter drone stuff, right, I'll give you an example. Um, it's, it's quite, uh, it's quite a problem in China, for example. Um, people will use drones to drop, say, uh, poisonous meat into pig pens and and cause the price of pork to go up because there's, you know, the the pigs are, i probably need to put a a bit of a trigger warning there um but there's a lot of people using drones for bad and so people others would buy those counter drone systems install them aim them at the sky and and jam that area or stop that drone from entering there the problem is you've got planes going overhead and those planes can get affected their gps systems get affected their other systems get affected by these counter drone systems and so it manipulates a whole bunch of other stuff out there it's not just a unless you've got a very specific system. It's not a very narrow band targeted, you know, attack on that one RF band. Um, A lot of the time it's just like goes wide and attacks everything out there. So there's reasons why it's here. Counter drones are still used in Australia by police in some occasions and military, Um, but your average industrial control system, uh, that type of thing can't use it. Yeah, so sorry, I just
0: dropped out. So um so what what are the solutions in Australia? Well how, how do how do how do Australian companies get around around this? Like
1: Yeah, okay. So you've got um you've got a, a drone problem and um probably the, the most common thing we hear is like I've got a drone problem. There's drones flying over, they're doing uh, you know, reconnaissance, surveillance, you know, that type of gathering, um, or they're causing an issue. And that's where people go back to the, you know, the cybersecurity side of things. You know, how can we maybe even just passively detect where the operator is and then send the police or send someone to them. Um, Again, there's certain laws around that. But look, when you have a drone in the air, you've got a controller somewhere that's sending those commands, um, depending on the drone, right? And and it's an RF-based signal that's coming to and from. So depending on how you're detecting things, you may just be able to pick up where that operator's um, controller is even before the drone's taken off. So the moment it creates that, that sync with the drone, yeah, you can pick that up with an SDR or, or something like that. And hello, there's my cat. Oh, uh, cat, how are podcast. you? <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's there's that type of uh, scenario where you can use passive detection only. Um, trying to counter a drone at the moment, uh, there is very little hope for you if you're just a, a you know an average citizen. It's very yeah. very hard, and that's what's trying to change as time goes on. Um, but yeah, look, you you can't look at it with a scope of just cyber security if you use cyber security to take down a drone um you look at the physical security elements that drone's going to come down it's going to hurt someone it, you know it could be autonomous all these different combination things um, so it's it's hard to pick that up but look at the main thing that we focus on at, at drone sec where people can't do countermeasures is that threat intelligence part so what are the threat actors that are out there that are using drones for an extension of their capabilities right And are they using them to try and hack into Wi-Fi from an extended distance or are they actually using them uh, to drop explosive payloads or things like that? You know, what are their tactics, techniques and procedures that we often see? Once you know those and you're tracking them, you can let someone know and they start to find out all these other mitigations. So let's say you have a prison. Um, If you see a drone and you can't take it down, what's the first thing you do? You call the prisoners out of the yard back into the, the main area. Um, that's what's called you know a standard operating procedure that they can do even though they can't actually physically take down the drone yeah so there's small things you can do there um, but that's part of the learning process
0: so what, what do you think what do you find is that um the, the main like for adversarial use of drones is what's the i guess it's very overseas is very different to australia australia is probably quite calm but is it the prison drops is it is it dropping like explosive payloads is it reconnaissance what's the 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 main thing that gets reported to to you guys and your and your platform,
1: um, yeah. So probably um, intelligence surveillance or reconnaissance is the main yeah. one, right? So you can you can send a drone up and, and see what's happening for five kilometers away, uh, whether it's um, precursor to a robbery that occurs because you can tell no one's home and you've you've done a scoping of that. Um, and I, I see Gabs put his um, hand
0: put the yep. hand up. So Go for it, Gab. You what got a, a question, question mate?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, What about in the case of
1: airports with drones? Because over here, we've had a couple of incidents where they've uh, flown some over one of our main airports called Heathrow. And it caused a lot of problems there with planes taking off. This is uh, quite a big danger to life. Uh, What about is there any sort of loopholes around it there? Or is it still the same sort of issues you'd face generally? Yeah, and I'll I'll preface that with... um... I think there's still some entities that don't know if that was a drone or a paper bag. Um, but before we get <laughs> fair <into> enough, <laughs> that, that was that was a critical turning point for the the counter drone industry, right? Because they started looking at um, typical like infosec solutions that have been around for a while in the jamming and manipulation space, as well as looking at those kinetic solutions. You know, can we catch a drone with a net, or you know, with an eagle, or shoot it out of the sky, or use a laser, that type of thing. Um, by the way, InfoSec solutions are winning in the counter drone space because they're uh, methodical. You can actually force a drone to land a specific area by spoofing a command that you know would have been used to um, or by cutting that control and, and forcing it to return to home to a safe spot. Um, so InfoSec solutions are actually paving the way for counter drones, which is good to know. And we should keep researching on it. But with the Heathrow-Gatwick um, kind of intersection, so the one thing they realize is if you have a drone in your airspace, you have to land your planes or you have to ground them. You can't have them in the area because a single drone in an engine, it's not, yeah, no. unfortunately, again, this is you know, horrible to say, but it's not soft like a bird, like they usually have bird strikes. It's got a lipo battery. It's got plastic metal that goes into an engine and it's it's proven time and time again. That'll cause an issue, right? So one single drone that costs 200 or $300 may potentially cause a jetliner to crash. Right. That's, the, that's the high end of the risk, but it's the reality of that risk. So suddenly you've got one of these, you know, imagine a bunch of people sitting in a boardroom and they're like grading their risks. Um, <coughs> the $200 risk to take down a jetliner is, is way too open than, for example, someone hopping the fence and running onto the, the um, you know, tarmac or things like that. So that's why it caused so much, uh, so much, so many issues. That, that, I think that Heathrow airport issue costed something like $80,000 per minute um, that wow. occurred because of the the cost to the airliners and that type of thing. Um, and they ended up purchasing, you know, a counter drone system in the millions uh, that, that was meant to be able to stop those drones. Um, but I, what was your question about what about airports? Because right now, airports are looking into that counter drone technology, or at least the detection technology. Yeah. Um, you're seeing, yeah, this is pretty cool, right? So, Where you have counter-drone systems, usually they sit and look at a two-kilometer radius. They detect drones through a variety of ways, the RF sensors or uh, optical recognition. They're trying to determine, you know, is that a bird? Is that a drone? And then they make a decision. Um, But counter-drones are almost like antivirus, right? They have similar heuristics. They have similar ways of detecting and picking up a drone. Where antivirus, or at least, let's say, the more advanced guys, um, winning is where they have this global network that tells each other when a new virus is seen or a new malware strain has been seen counter drones are not at that level yet right so they're actually just based on what they see in front of them and then they try to determine if it's good or bad they try to use some kind of threat modeling like is this drone capable of carrying a, an explosive payload is this drone has it been seen before at other airports um is it is it the type that could be bad? You know, they try to do that, but they're not yet smart. Yeah. And when you think about smart AV, um, if, if that's the thing, <laughs> but if you think about the more advanced ones that, that actually work, um, a lot of them are that interconnected mesh of sensors. So with counter UAS, it's it's going to get to a point where they're going to be searching in a database of... Bunch of known threats. They're going to be like, okay, this drone has been seen in Venezuela, or this type of drone activity has been seen in Venezuela. Maybe it applies to us over here. Um, Make all those kind of connections and then force that drone to land. If it's bad or if it's good, allow it to continue flying, you know, friend or foe type thing. Um, So with airports, we're still not seeing adequate protection mechanisms, and that's why the the counter drone industry is is growing so quickly. Um, But we will in the future see them all. So, just for example, here in Australia, all major aerodromes have a detection network, and they're they're trying to be able to tell when a drone enters one airspace, notify all the other pilots, notify the police, you know, that type of thing. Um, And and sometimes it's easy to do. Do do you guys know about the um, the DJI product called Aeroscope? If you know about that one, yeah,
0: sure do. Thanks to you, and your awesome course. But yep.
1: OK, so, so Aeroscope, for those of you who don't know, was a product that DJI, the drone maker, actually put out themselves. And they, they pitched it as law enforcement can use this to detect drones um, and find out who's flying it. And that's because one of the, the, the packet responses or one of the little uh, ID pieces that gets translated from the drone to the controller and so forth um, tells you who's flying the drone. It's got their DJI username and email address. Um, it only works for DJI products, but that's the type of thing they're trying to get to. Is is you've registered your drone, you're using a your drone, we can tell you who's flying it. It doesn't help if you've bought a secondhand drone um, off the market or or found a say a DJI account and dehashed or something. But um, that's what they're they're trying to be able to do. So that was a very long winded answer to the airports question, but I, I think that kind of summarises it. They're not there yet. They're they're building towards that capability. What about for
0: hacked drones, mate? With so when they um when they're hacked and they change the like the frequencies that they run on, the protocols they run, and what's ha- what's happening in that space for detection and things like that.
1: Yeah, that, that's one of the biggest questions that they ask in the from the threat intel side, right? Is how many drones are, are DIY? How many have been yeah. made themselves, and how many um, actually change those bands that they use to connect to the controller? Because theoretically, if you were if you had a counter drone system um, that blocked or jammed. Or manipulated the nine hundred megahertz space, let's say, um, and you change your drone to use a, a different, um, you know, wireless part of the spectrum, then you're theoretically uh, kind of separating yourself from that countermeasure. Um, more and more countermeasures these days are trying to go, you know, wideband or kind of cover all the the popular frequencies, that type of thing, um, or that they have the backup of being able to jam the GPS side as well as the F- RF so a lot of counter drones companies were afraid of this the the threat intel tells us that it's it's growing but it's not yet there and this is probably because buying a drone and using it is so easy and they're still not being stopped that they haven't had to necessarily create custom countermeasures does that if that makes sense like yeah if you imagine a a prison drop um a lot of operators either don't care about getting the drone back so it's a one-way flight they'll send the drone up They'll drop the narcotics or the cell phones, SIM cards over the prison. And the drone will either crash because they don't care about $200 um, or because of the heavy payload, it's lost all its battery and it'll fly into a tree. Um, You get very few operators who are veterans. And there is a specific veteran up in Canada. He was caught, excuse me, um, he was caught because there was some forensics on the drone, which gave them the attribution of where he had taken off from. The guy as well had done some updates at his home. He had turned on the drone to do that. And because that registers the GPS location, they were able to go to all those targets and they found his house. So forensics on drones is, is something else. But he had flown over 40 missions to a single, oh, sorry, three different prisons in the area. So he was almost like a contract drone dropper. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to see a lot more of that, I think. But um, yeah, the, the forensics part's really interesting because you can, there are ways to scrub forensics off a drone prevent caching use second-hand accounts do all that kind of you know nefarious stuff um or just privacy aware stuff um so you can do that but just flying a drone like you know for example the other day i went for a walk um at at my local park i spotted a drone in the tree and so that drone had been caught there took it down you take the sd card out you take the onboard storage out and suddenly you can find out you know where the person had flown you can take all the gps data from where where they've been, you can take the EXIF and and metadata from the images, the videos. You've got the video footage itself. Um, there's a whole bunch of things you can do in attribution to find out who was flying that drone, and also map on say Google Earth the flight path of where it been, the elevation it had been. You know, there's tools that make that easier, but you can do that very simply um, just with you, yourself uh, and a drone. Hey, so
0: Rick, do you want, uh, you've got your, you're here, aren't you, Rick? Hey, yep. Hey
2: man, how uh, you
0: on? Edge. So Rick yeah, works good, in, good. Rick works in uh maritime cybersecurity. Uh, did you have any questions for Mike Buddy?
2: I do, yeah, yeah. It's um, quite an interesting topic for me because uh working with yachts, obviously some of the bigger yachts have some uh quite sophisticated systems on board, including those to um detect and defeat drones as well. So uh obviously in different countries there's uh different aspects around regulations and uh that kind of stuff. I just want to get your opinion on the, the regulatory side, uh, of, especially of the defeat, because we kind of have to leave it in the with the responsibility of the operator with a uh, with a clause that says, look, you know, you need to know exactly where you are, what you're doing uh, before actually operating this equipment, kind of passing on the responsibility. But I just want to get your opinion on uh, the advancing regulate or just the regulatory side i'm not even sure if it's advancing at all It's quite different in different countries i gather
1: it is and i i would have no idea what it's like in, in maritime law um or outside of a country's borders like that but one of the reasons regulations exist is to prevent let's say not a yacht but a larger ship um or a military or a naval ship from getting a counter drone system that interferes with their signals right so the, the regulatory side says, you know, you can't use this because that that might leak out and infect, uh, affect your communications or, or things that are happening on the ship itself. Um, maybe not so much with the yacht. So one of the big things around that is if if the drone is a, a a good drone or it's meant to be in that area, right? And you're taking it down, then you're destroying someone else's property. Um, and if that yeah. drone, that we don't know what its purpose was, but you're you're just destroying it. So it's almost like if you see a boat coming towards yourself you don't know which kind of boat it is you're worried about it it's got the potential to have guys that might be pirates on board and you decide just to take it out um (laughs) before confirmation in a way that's that's probably a little bit of where that's going um there's an interesting concept of the the drones itself um actually that's probably on a different topic but so the the regulations are there to try and prevent you from taking out the wrong drone in a way um if it is the right drone and you manage to save everyone because it was carrying an explosive payload then uh, and you break the law that's probably a good thing that
2: I guess the regulations is also there to stop you jamming what you're potentially doing is jamming the uh, the radio frequency public radio frequencies at that um I know there's products out there that claim they can uh, focus on the particular frequency the drone is using'm i a bit skeptical of that I think there's you know the more reliable solution is to <laughs> take the whole frequency band and just shut that down but obviously then you've got uh, collateral damage in terms of um uh whatever systems nearby so um yeah
1: yeah and it's quite interesting some some have opted to use um you know the geofencing capability not necessarily for the yachts but the geofencing is the passive um restriction out of an airspace so if a drone enters a certain area uh it's meant to just not be able to enter it or take off from there because it's it's internal um gps coordinates say you cannot be here so the gps system stops um extremely simple to uh, modify and manipulate so if anyone has as a brain they can get in there and just remove that um or choose not to upload it or change those restrictions so they can fly into that area so geofencing is a terrible terrible protection mechanism um and i'll keep saying that as many times as i hear you know politicians asking you know should geofencing be a a good thing here (laughs) exactly and in fact um and a lot of new drone manufacturers are just forgetting about uh geolocations locations these days because it's just useless and in the adversaries um power so, is so it, someone's is, mentioned um
0: so it yeah. might got to be about in, in, enforcing regulation on the manufacturers because like they kind of pass the buck i guess they make these drones and then pass the buck to the user like is it about regulating the actual manufacturers of the drones or is that that that, that, that leaves custom drones out but it does take care of that massive chunk of the market where you know that low that low dollar value to the entry point like Is this something that needs to be looked at or is it something that's being looked at?
1: It is something that has been for, for a little while. So for example, DJI, the drone maker, they've had geofencing in their systems for a while. You you can't necessarily fly that drone into a certain area that's been protected um, unless you manipulate it. The, The problem with the restrictions of where you can fly is everyone thinks differently about them, right? So there is certain airspace above a prison, which is restricted airspace, but above a critical infrastructure, you know, place, uh, or a substation, it may not be restricted. And in fact, you can fly your drone over someone's property and there is no issue in Australia. Private property, unless it's restricted airspace, is not your airspace. So I could fly my drone, as as say, a few times we've seen this with animal activists. They fly the drone over the property. They go and get a good picture of um, the, the people there, um, say, slaughtering the animals, and that allows them footage to be able to show to others. When the police are called, the police sit there and go, They're completely legal. They're flying legally. They're in their bounds of the airspace. They're 30 meters away from the animals. There's no problem. Uh, The only way you could get uh, arrested for that is if you're actually standing on their property operating the drone. But if you're standing on the road flying your drone over their property, you're completely fine. So that's where the... The regulatory side has a few loopholes because, again, a national park, you're not meant to be flying drones in the national park, but if you stand outside the border and you fly a drone in, it may not have that same restriction. you so, for a beach or something be. like that, I
2: suppose, as well. Uh, over in Miami, you see drones flying over the beaches all the time. You know, God knows what they're looking for there, but,
1: uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> nothing wrong with it.
1: What, about, about, the, 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 if-
0: <laughs> what about the taking yeah, of yeah. photographs and things like that? Is that in... Uh, impose on privacy laws or it it just doesn't matter or
1: no a big big matter i guess on that side of things so um in france police started using drones for a lot of law enforcement operations they're awesome for law enforcement right so you can send a small drone into a a house to try and scope it out if there's a, a danger there before you send your your agents in um you can use it for crowd control things like that but unfortunately you can also use it to quickly gather every single person who's at a a rally or a protest or things like that um facial recognition capabilities on drones at this point are really decent and they've got you know zoom that is incredible right um on top of infrared thermal night vision all that type of thing um but You know, collecting people's privacy and data is is kind of unprecedented because before you had these body cams on cops or you had their their car cameras. Now you've got a drone that has unrestricted airspace, uh, access to the airspace, flying around the city, gathering all that data, both audio, visual, you know, that type of thing. So police in France were actually restricted from continuing to be using drones. It was such a privacy outburst. the same kind of thing goes for, I think there was one case in um, up in the Netherlands, there was a nudist beach, everyone was sunbathing without any clothes at all, someone flew their drone over and just started taking pictures. And because it's a nudist beach, people, people don't take out their cameras and take pictures of each other, even long zoom cameras don't work, it's a secluded area, but get a drone and suddenly you can get footage of everyone and they can't they can't hide themselves um so i use that example because that that person was went to trial and it was a precedent it was like how do we restrict drones taking someone else's you know um, Um, private pictures or or privacy and that type of thing so it is a big issue um but at the moment you know in australia it's other than queensland i believe it's very hard to to restrict you from filming someone else with a drone uh, i've got an
2: example of that um over in spain in Mallorca where they're there's restrictions still with the COVID uh, side of things. They've introduced all the tourists back in, and um, they're closing the bars at one o'clock in the morning. And uh, obviously, everyone's coming out into the streets. So the police thought they'd uh, use a the drone, put it up there, trying to control the crowd that way. First night they did that. Second night, it uh, they you know they didn't have the permits or registration in right. place to actually do it. So. Yeah, some privacy issues there i think from um, uh, the spanish point of view use them for crowd control anyway hmm.
1: it's it can be difficult for for law enforcement to use drones like that as well because they have to do a risk assessment of where they are they have to get the permits and regulations as you as you said um, especially in south africa using drones is super useful on big farms where you've got Coaches and things like that, you're trying to track them, but if you have to try and get a permit each time and, and go through a risk and privacy assessment, it could delay things. So that's where we're seeing that kind of wavering between. They seem awesome for emergency services to use, especially you know for the fireies, the fire emergency services. They chuck up a drone, they can quickly see with a thermal camera where those spot fires are and send you know the, the fire truck. Um, but it gets quite difficult, as you mentioned in Spain. It takes time to get that permit. So by that time, then it's useless even using a drone. So they resort to, and this is the thing that's happening all over the world, right? They resort to individual members using their drones uh, that are not company drones. They're not procured by the emergency services department, which brings an onslaught of uh, that drone Maybe a, a make and model that's vulnerable to the public, you know, being able to break into them. Um, it might be, you know, completely... Uh, not procured for data security and privacy reasons so that data that or vision that they're collecting could be leaked Um, and and i just say that because time and time again we're seeing drones skip any kind of procurement lines for companies Uh, as in they will not go through pen testing they won't go through vulnerability assessment and they'll buy them from some (laughs) street vendor if you want to call it that because there is no methodology to test drones yet if they brought in a laptop, they've made sure it's got you know BitLocker on it. They've made sure it's got EDP, all these different things. Um, but with a drone, it's it's barely looked at. It's not even considered as part of the IT department. This,
2: this is something you probably covered already. I, you were speaking earlier about the DGI drones. What's the proliferation like of the market with DGI? I was uh, chatting to somebody the other day, and I've got a system that detects only really detects DGI drones. Um, and I said, well, there's got to be other manufacturers out there um, doing the same thing. Is you know how how big is that proliferation of uh, DJI on the uh, the market, and are there yeah, lots that's... of cheap ones out there as well?
0: There's, there's heaps of that's, cheap that's ones. That's a but... great question. Yeah, go, on, Mike.
1: Oh, sure. Okay. Um, look, DJI probably still has seventy percent of the market, um, which okay. is huge in the commercial space. They're, they're... Probably still quite up there. Um, DJI, for those of you who don't know, is uh, a Chinese brand um, and make uh, creative drones. They make the best, uh, without a doubt, the best featured drones, which is why everyone wants to buy them and use them. Um, and the the current problem with that is that there's this whole you know issue of um dji for example is partly owned by so the Ch- chinese uh, communist party or at least those allegations have been made um yeah. and so people are like should we trust those dji drones being in our government or military um the u.s military banned them um even after multiple pen tests by um there was a pen test by uh Riverloop. there was a pen test by um one of the big consulting firms there's been a number of public pen tests where the re- reports have been released where they say look we don't have data that there's exfiltration of that telemetry reaching, you know, uh, Chinese borders or things like that. The, so there's that whole sovereignty issue. Right. And, um, I, I like the stance, uh, personally like the stance of, um, Mark Jacobson. So he was the creator of rogue squadron. Um, and if you haven't heard of them, they were probably the most elite team of drone hackers and drone counter hackers you have ever heard of. And these guys created some incredible technology from forensic um, analysis of drones to you know uh, drone uh, counter drone software and systems that blew the other commercial stuff out of the water. And they were a government entity. So they were, they were almost like ran it like an agile software development team, even though they were in the government. And their ethos, or at least their view, was um, let's use these fully featured set drones, Chinese drones, but let's make them secure. And let's try to harden them first without that data exfiltrating out. Because think about it, let's say you've got a, a, um, a counter-terrorism operation happening somewhere. Your agent decides to pull out a drone and send that drone up to gain a, a visual on the target. Um, if they're doing that with a drone that is sending metadata or telemetry back to somewhere else, uh, it could compromise that, you know, that activity. So they want to be able to have a drone that, that they can use with mm. all these awesome features that doesn't interfere with the data. The problem is, if you try to do that to a DJI drone today, you need to flash that firmware. You get about two to three weeks out of it, and then you have to reflash it or you lose access or things like that. So it's a really manual process at the moment to try and secure drones um, or at least prevent them from siphoning that data off. Uh, why there's why, very why few is drone- that?
0: Sorry, Mike. Why, why is that? Why do you only get the two to three weeks out of the, the flashed firmware?
1: Uh, Because the drone will say it hasn't called home. Um, It's like DRM. (laughs) And it will say, we haven't contacted the mother base. You know, we've got to do something about this. This is the biggest problem about drones today is a problem or advantage or however your perspective. They have to be connected to the internet and they have to be connected to their manufacturer a lot of the time. Um, And they have to make those homing calls because their features rely on being internet connected to do all this kind of stuff. Um, We just saw Parrot, one of the big, drone vendors, put out a drone that is 4G only. So you can only fly this drone with GSM, you know, using the cellular networks, which means that drone is always going to be on and active and accessible through the internet. Um, you'll probably see it on Shodan somewhere. <laughs> and um, at the same time, you know, it's it, it makes it in, invul- invulnerable um, to typical RF attacks, but it makes it vulnerable to those GSM attacks and to internet-bound attacks um so things are becoming way more connected than before and your commercial drones are just operated by a single node sometimes that controls multiple drones if you're able to compromise that node you sometimes get access to all those drones all that data it's it's starting to go by an order, order of magnitude at the moment
2: but I have to trust in that company that's uh, selling the drones as well then what sounds of it
1: yeah absolutely
2: so, what about
0: drones and Shodan? like how often do they turn up on there is, it, is this a Is there much of a problem with uh people you know just searching showdown hacking drones remotely
1: (laughs) so um good good question ryan back in 2018 uh we started a research project um internally here and it was to try and find as many drones as we could that were on showdown and be able to show people or demonstrate that they're online or is accessible um we were able to find drones that are sitting in a, a certain box you know for surveillance so If someone is detected on the perimeter or every 15 minutes that drone will fly up out of that rechargeable box it'll do its round if it spots someone it has a speaker to warn them out of the area Uh, it will record vision it will have a floodlight on that person it'll go back to its post and recharge for the next run Um, those kind of drones are sometimes controlled by what's called a remote operating center or a rock from halfway around the world so those types of drones are always connected and some of those will appear on showdown It's not too hard to find, but I think the scariest thing of all, um, and this is a a talk that I think you can find uh, on the internet somewhere, is we managed to find a live counter drone system on Shodan. Not just one, but seven, right? And these are systems that are sitting at places like Parliament House, right? Not actually at Parliament House, but they're sitting at Parliament House protecting the airspace from drones. You are able to find these systems online via Shodan and then worst of all, their, their security is abominable. So you're able to just interact with that API. You're able to either take that drone off, uh, stop it from protecting drones in that area, compromise the system. You know, so there's some issues when you think about what is a what is a person like me gonna do if I want to fly a drone out of prison? If I okay, so let, let's step this back. First thing I'd probably do is is send up a canary drone. So a small drone with no payload being able to fly it over. And if it gets detected or compromised, then you know that there's a counter drone system in the area. This is a typical uh, tactic that we've seen in Canada that happens again and again. So once the drone has been taken down, you're like, all right, they know that there's, there's a, we know there's a counter drone system. So how do we overcome that counter drone system? The one is being able to locate it on the web and disable it, right? Because you don't want to fly a drone where there is a counter drone system. Um, And so that's your one tactic. The other is just physical intrusion. So a lot of the time, they're relying on these counter drone systems to sit on a a tall advantage point to be able to have a view of the area, detect and uh, mitigate that drone. But if you could pull out the power, if you could manipulate that physical system, if you could get access to it somehow, then you're just allowing yourself to get in there. So a lot of the time, we're seeing both on the optic side and on the uh, physical side and digital side, these counter drone systems are... They can protect against drones, but they can't protect against people attacking them. And I think that's a big worry is, you know, they're dealing with, with aviation systems, yet they're failing to secure them properly as well. So there is some interesting things on Showdown. Um, we, we, for a reason, didn't include everything within the uh, one of the training courses that you would have done, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think we hinted... It was very
0: interesting though, mate. Very, very interesting. It didn't take much um, manoeuvring to figure out what needed to be done. Um, so is it... So you've got an anti-drone system. Is it the manufacturers that are shortcomings there, like with the the OPSEC stuff, or is it just the the, the industry industry isn't mature enough yet to understand what it's vulnerable to?
1: Speed to market, um, being the first market counter drone systems, the ones that started first are generally the ones that are still around today. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of counter drone companies. Each one thinks it does the best job at radar detection or countermeasures. Um, we've seen everything from a, bu- a box full of Yagi antennas um, that are connected to, you know, a Hacker F1 um, type thing. We've seen, you know, systems that are uh, super expensive military-based systems, but they just decided to get into the counter-drone space because they were already doing something similar. Um, the best counter-drone systems out there are, are stacked multi-systems, so... Optical recognition, acoustic, RF. You know, you had problems with the acoustic guys trying to detect a drone, and then a law someone would mow their lawn a kilometer away, and suddenly they get a warning that there's a swarm of drones incoming um, because the the acoustic signals from the lawn mower affected it. So you can't rely on one single source. Just like using, say, a forensic tool, you've got to use multiple to to be able to determine what's going on. Um, the manufacturers want to be first, and they want to capture that market. Um, and everyone is asking for counter drone systems at the moment. You know, you've got a thousand different US military outfits with no single procurement area trying to secure their own counter drone systems. And so there's a lot of things called tests and evaluation where they're trying to determine the effectiveness of a system um, and how they measure if it works or not. But at the moment, you're you're right on the money when you say it's a vendor issue where security is second to mind. The first thing is taking out a drone and the security side doesn't matter as much to them um yeah that's that's where you need independent evaluators to come along and say the system is vulnerable to xyz the,
2: the cost of these systems are pretty prohibitive as well from what i've seen you know ranging from tens of thousands up to potentially millions depending on the uh application of it so yeah i'm not sure how they can get away with charging that
0: Eric, hey rick is this a, is this a, a big issue in your your part of the industry a drone something that are on people's minds
2: um they are but the the costs like i say are quite prohibitive at the moment so um you know with the with with larger yachts for example they're going to go all out they're going to spend a couple of million on a on a really nice fancy system military grade and um yeah you you won't get a drone near it um some of these systems like i asked about the dgi drones earlier there's some systems you pay millions for they detect 90% of dgi drones But then the others, the the detection isn't so good. So then you've got the smaller yachts where, you know, the the cost is just too prohibitive and the the equipment is often too big and clunky to actually, you know, put anywhere on a a yacht without ruining the the fine lines of the the uh, (laughs) aesthetics, that's it. That's the word I was thinking of. So um, definitely on people's minds, but not, Far from mainstream in that
0: area, unless you're a billionaire. So, Mike, is there any, any anything that you've seen like a, in the lower end of the market that's coming out? Anything that looks promising for you know a lower dollar value entry point?
1: Um, yeah, look, there's there's a lot of detection sensors which are getting cheaper, so they're realizing they can't necessarily charge a whole bunch for a single sensor that is, you know, a one point it has a 360 azimuth and it it looks for drones up high and around it at a you know five kilometer radius um what you're seeing being a little bit better and it comes back to that smart cities model of cities that want to have an entire um operational view or common operating picture is small sensors as a mesh uh placed at strategic points around a city so what's the perfect example of that well mobile cell towers so where you might see uh, detection networks starting is those mobile cell t- cell towers or or um, GSM towers, where they're each uh, at a point trying to detect different drones um, from an RF basis. So you can see things as cheap as you know one thousand five hundred bucks per sensor, um, and so that but then you're timesing that by say twenty or thirty around a perimeter. Um, that's not the countermeasure side though. If you're trying to counter a drone, those solutions can cost you know a variety of ways. Yeah. But as as Rich said, it was it's more the military systems that cost in the millions. Um, some of the common ones, like you know those drone guns and things like that, they're you know sometimes you can call them a, a glorified yagi on a, Bit of a, gimmick on a with a trigger. <laughs> that's right. Oh um, man, they look real cool. Yeah, <laughs> right. true. Very futuristic. Um, Those ones can be on the cheaper end, but they they can sometimes still be you know seventy to two hundred k for a a countermeasure. And what's the whole point here, right? You're trying to stop a drone. Yes, the risk might be in the thousands or millions, but the drone itself is only two hundred dollars or four hundred dollars. So your mitigation is costing way more than your return on investment. If you want to think about it in business terms. Um, And, you know, it comes back to that story of back when, um, back in Syria, one of the high devices, you know, the US army had to utilize um, one of the Patriot missiles to take down a drone. And they looked back at it and were just like, look, this was a $4 million missile, you know, against a $200 drone. The economic trade-off was so different. um, It's almost not worth it. You know, should we, (laughs) what do we do here? So at the moment, the cost to defeat a drone is a lot more. And that's where I think, you know, From the InfoSec side, there's so many solutions that we come up with, open source stuff, which is free, that could do a better job. Um, but for some reason, the, the InfoSec community hasn't necessarily seen that link or connection between the the counter-drone elements um, just yet. That's why hopefully there'll be a call to, to more people to get into the space. Because <clears throat> look, we've had some really interesting people join, um, well, drone-sec, but the drone security kind of industry. Um, there have been people that have, built some of the, the Wi-Fi tooling that a lot of you and I use that have gone into the industry. There's also been those that were, say, military drone pilots or fighter jet pilots, and they've come into the space because they realize there's intersection of you know aviation, cybersecurity, drones. Um, and, and if you look at it, it's almost like you've got your CISOs, right, of companies, and then you've got your CSOs. And the CSOs, are they look at both physical and digital security. That's the only way you can look at drones is... What kind of digital things can I do to a drone, and what kind of physical effect will it have? Because that drone is now hovering around somewhere. Uh, that was a bit of a rant, but you, you get what I'm saying. Is, it's is a that what makes
0: system. it difficult? Because it, it's a, a cyber kinetic weapon. Is this the is this what makes it di- difficult to to for CISOs and CSOs to like make policies about? Because it because it spans those two areas.
1: Yeah, it's like who who owns the drone problem, right? Like if you're a company. Um, does your tech department own it or the operations guys? How do the security guys get alerts? You know, there's nothing that, that manages a drone fleet that sends those alerts to your team. Uh, Splunk won't ingest a bunch of alerts from your counter drone system. So who who is going to combine that? So that's the big problem. That's one of the problems that Dronesec is working on, obviously, but that's the issue where no one knows which area of security it's going to fall under.
0: So, so tell us about what, what Dronesec's doing, like what 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 you provide besides awesome training, which is really good, by the way. Um, it, yeah. What Sorry is it that DreadSec does? It does?
1: Yeah. I appreciate the, the comment, Ryan. Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, we, we get such good feedback from people in terms of how to make it better and how to improve it. But look, the training was quite interesting. So Droneset creates cybersecurity and threat intelligence solutions for drones. Um, the the whole point here is that we try to look at protecting friendly drones um, from being hi- you know hijacked, hacked into denial of service, as well as that phase of those malicious drones. Uh, and we we started out by doing that with threat intelligence. Um, the way we've, we first started, we were doing a bit of red teaming with drones. So physical intrusion uh, simulations against, say, substations or you know um, government buildings that kind of thing how can we use a drone to surveil the area find low-hanging fences be able to you know watch guard timings you know see if they actually notice a drone near the window uh, or gathering wi-fi um, you know data that type of thing and drones give you an unprecedented advantage in a red team um, for various reasons but when we came to do these scenarios and when we wanted to test a scenario we were like we have to mirror real life activities right you can't just come up with your own ideas for using a drone against a a perimeter so one of the requirements of this was to gather as much realistic data as we could about other attackers or adversaries using it in say canada the uk australia but also the middle east um so we started gathering the threat intelligence and we were trying to gather as many um, incidents as possible and so we designed an internal tool just for ourselves because we're consulting at the time and we we called it notify and we basically um, allowed you to use big data in a way that's like you search in uh let's say a type of drone you'll get all the incidents that relate to that drone how they were used the tactics techniques procedures the locations that type of thing um super useful for example if you were to look up, um, say, like betting or gambling, you'd find all the incidents where people use drones to cheat the the system, uh, mm-hmm. where they're watching a race and they can bet on a horse before the, the systems update, that type of thing. Um, so that internal tool, we were just using ourselves and then continually some of our, our customers were like, you know, what are you using to create these simulations? How are you creating a scenario with this type of drone? You know, how do we know it's going to be realistic? And so we were able to you know, end up saying, "Well, let's make that internal tool public," and that's how Notify uh, started selling to the public. Um, the training was really interesting because um, it was never going to happen. We had, you know, we had an, an our internal training for when guys came in and they started drone sec. A lot of the time, they'd have too many questions. They'd be like, "You know, I don't understand the drone area, or I don't understand this or that." So the training was a way of not retraining every person that came in. And um, very quickly, we found a lot of customers. Would also have the same questions over and over again. They wouldn't understand what they're getting, um, and they'd be like, "Can drones be hacked?" We're just sitting there, you know, trying to not roll our eyes. And so it became a way of just giving them, flicking them to this this directory of videos or training we had, and saying, "Why don't you have a look at that, and then come back to us and tell us if you have a problem or if you need some work done." And that's where they just said, this is um, this is terrible that we're getting this for free. Can you please you know, make it into a paid training? Um, and so apparently there's a thing in companies where if you're end of you have budgets, you, you have to pay for it. And government was turning around and saying, we can't take this for free. It's it's a gift policy. So we need to buy it. So we actually turned the training into paid training um, as a point of that. And it's, it's been great to get people to understand if there's an issue, because in some cases they don't actually need a drone security company to come and and pen test their drones because they're using their own drones or they've hardened them or something like that so the training is a great way of separating that um but look we've we've done some interesting research one of them has been you know the looking at the MITRE attack um you know scenarios the enterprise and the ACS ICS matrix and trying to determine what applies to drones because if you have that same kind of you know stop gap of seeing how someone uh, compromises a drone, does lateral movement, or compromises a node and gets into the others. Um, you know, what elements of the minor attack framework are already there and that we can apply. Um, we, yeah, so we've, we've done some interesting research in that point, but the big vision for DroneSec is really that whole safe and secure drone operations. Too many companies today are not using drones, uh, even though they're awesome, um, as I'm <laughs> sure we can all agree because they're just like, they think there's too many risks out there. So if we can help you know, reduce some of those risks, they can have a drone program, their innovation scales, they get to use cool stuff, take people out of dangerous jobs, you know, that all that type of nice fluffy stuff. Um, so yeah, that, that's really where it's at in terms of drone sec. Um, may, mainly our clients are threat tell based. So <laughs> for example, um, they'll want to plan a VIP route of someone traveling from one area to another. And so they'll query us and say, is there any threat intelligence to suggest there's been rogue drone operations in a certain area? Um, we might be able to turn around and say, yes, there was three incidents of people using drones in that area in the past three months. Um, they were using explosive payloads or you know, a local cartel has been using them to surveil police. Um, maybe you should use a different route or maybe we, we just give them the data, they can make the decision. Um, and then, of course, there's the the cybersecurity side. So, Ryan, you may have seen a little while ago, You know, there was a, a forum um, where a post appeared about a, a drone schematics being sold. Um, yeah. They wanted to sell it for like $18,000 and they would give you the blueprints or the schematics of the drone. Why is that important? Well, if you can reverse engineer that drone, you find yeah. out how to create that, that spoof, you can then force that drone down if you see it in the field. And this was a military drone, so that's yeah. why there was a bit more care around it. Um, so we use a lot of open source intelligence. If there is a drone video on TikTok, um, we'll probably pick it up. If there's a drone mentioned in some kind of language somewhere, we're going to pick it up. Um, and that comes back to you know being able to determine if a counter drone system has seen a drone or not, you can compare it with open source intelligence and be able to tell if it was if it was good or bad.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, it looks like we're coming up to the hour mark. Um, does anybody in the audience have any questions for Mike or Rick?
2: Um, I think that's good for now. I'm, I'm really interested in the, uh, threat intelligence piece. So, um, sounds like you you've given the course a thumbs up already. So yeah, man, it's, it's actually, it's myself, actually, so.
0: it, it was amazing. Actually. It, it was opened my eyes to a, the, how wide the whole drone space is. Like it's, it, oh,
2: it's, massive. It, it's, it's,
0: massive. it's yeah, it was, it was mind blowing. Actually. Some of the stuff I learned in that just, uh, yeah, I think really we, we
2: probably only just scratched the surface here this evening as well, but, um, yeah, yeah i'll uh i'll be in touch mike
1: mm, that sounds good and look one last thing I, I saw a comment there that said in france they were using drones for you know speed cameras watching you know motorways and things like that and just Spain to, Spain. <laughs> yeah just wanted to to remind you about one thing that happened and it was pretty interesting um so in Israel, there was this research project that was based on, you know, the where you have Teslas or vehicles that read street signs as they drive past. <laughs> they'll read a street sign that says 80 kilometers an hour. And so they'll change their pace to 80 kilometers an hour. And they found that, you know, by using a drone with a small projector based on the bottom of it, you could fly to one of these signs or fly to one of these uh, underpasses. You could shine a projection of a speed camera, or sorry, speed sign saying it's 100 and that car would (laughs) automatically change speed (laughs) to a faster speed you could also change it to a stop sign and so when that car's you know hurtling down the freeway at 100 kilometers an hour it sees a stop slams on the brakes and so there's a whole slew of things that are drones aren't just the thing that changes it's just this extension of the capabilities right so super interesting area always happy to chat more about it um
0: yeah definitely definitely keen to get you back on for sure Well, um, that's Haunted Hacker for today, mate, with your Australian host. (laughs) Thanks for coming on, Rick. Thanks for coming on, Mike. Thank you, everyone. And it's an absolute pleasure. We'll see you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Right. See you guys.